Why I remember like it was just yesterday. My dad teaching me the finer tips about influencing and getting people to like you. The old man always thought that a straight look into the eyes and a firm handshake could seal any deal. Why he'd say, Son, a straight look into the eyes and a firm handshake can seal any deal. Such wise words, Pop. Yes, the times, they are a-changin'. But don't worry, in this new remote world, whether you realize it or not, you have the power to remotely mesmerize and motivate anyone and everyone you come into contact with. The secret to becoming a virtual super persuader. We're going to share it today. I'm Jeff Livingston, and this is ADP's Insights at Work podcast. Let's dive in. This is the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions, and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. I'd like to think that at the core of the HR role, our function is to create an environment that helps others on a large scale make breakthroughs of their own. HR is a catalyst for an organization's success and to help guide that success, the HR professional leads from behind and relies on their ability to influence and persuade others. And that's not easy in today's remote environment. In fact, It's forced all of us to adapt the manner in which we influence others. And that's why the insights that today's guest will share are so relevant. Mike Lipkin is the founder of Enveronics, a global research and motivation company. He's the author of seven books, a coach who has worked with more than a million people across 43 countries, helping them achieve remarkable results of their own. I've seen him speak And I'd like to think of Mike as the world's best professional speaker most of us have never heard of. So, let's change that today. Welcome to the podcast, Mike Lipkin. Well, Jeff, uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and I'm just thrilled to share my thoughts with you, and uh, hopefully something we share in the next few minutes will impact your listeners significantly. Well, based on what I've seen during your keynote addresses and from what I've read from your latest book, Dancing with Disruption, today's podcast is going to have a lot of great insights for the listener. So let's get started. Mike, it's incredible to see how much has changed in how we communicate and collaborate in just over a year. We saw a shift from in-person meetings to conference calls, conference calls to virtual meetings. Because of this, it's harder now more than ever to easily convey one's message and our passion for a project and get others on board with us to support that project. Now, we might not all be a Tony Robbins, but at least when we're trying to influence someone in person, I think we've got a better shot at convincing them to jump on board with our idea. So it's great that we're talking today about how to be that virtual persuader. But first, let me start by asking you, are some people just born with a bit more charm than the rest of us? Yes, there are some folks who are naturally more extrovert. 
There are some folks who are what we call ambiverts, so that means they can be extrovert or they can be introvert. And then there's some folks who truly introvert and they find communication, especially communication in a virtual channel, very uncomfortable. The truth though, Jeff, is that if you want to influence, if you want to persuade, if you want to make a difference, there's a role that you need to play and your personal comfort or discomfort is not relevant to that role that you need to play. So, for example, I would prefer to be in the same room with you right now, talking face to face, being able to read your body language, having what I call that conversational dance. But we are talking through the uh, channel of uh, the internet. We are uh, miles apart and I'm making the most of this medium. And so, you know, the bottom line is we need to find a way to get as comfortable as we can in this weird new normal. Mike, it's interesting that you highlight how we're all playing a role to suit a certain time, a situation, an environment, or an audience. I read your book, Dancing with Disruption, and it's a great read. In it, you talk and based on what you just said, I'm reminded of my own situation and the different roles I play, some more extroverted and animated than others. I'm lucky enough that my wife, she still enjoys attending industry events and functions with me. But it's funny because as soon as we get home or maybe sometimes after I get off of a conference call, she'll ask me why my work persona is so much more animated than how I act around her and our family at home. Right. So look. What COVID has done is it's made this issue even more pronounced, Jeff, because we are living at work and we working at home. And so this natural demarcation, this natural segmentation between our professional life and our personal life is collapsing. So right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm on the third floor. It's a converted attic in an old house in Midtown Toronto. Uh, my wife and my daughter are downstairs. They can hear me through the walls and through the door. They can hear my passion. They can hear how articulate I am. They can hear how focused I am. They can hear how professional I'm endeavoring to be. And then when I come downstairs, they don't want that part of me. They want Mr. Mike Lipkin, who is the father or the husband or the fun guy. And sometimes what happens, because I don't have the distance, I don't have that in-between period, Jeff, to shift and to get into my husband, dad, or just guy mode. I take these thoughts with me into the conversation. And so I have my wife and I have my daughter saying to me, hey, dad, or, you know, hey, Mike, you're not at work now. We need you to be relaxed. We need you just to engage with us. And I literally, well, not not literally, I have to figuratively switch into being in home mode. And so, Jeff, there is um, those folks who are what I call segmenters, and they're those folks who are integrators. Segmenters want to segment their life into different modules. The integrators are far better at being able to collapse all the aspects of their life into one activity. And so what we all need to do is enhance our ability to be able to seamlessly switch from, from one role to another. And this doesn't come intuitively. We've been going through this uh, experience now for uh, almost a year, but I will tell you, it's only in the last three months, Jeff, that I have felt 
any kind of normality, that I'm finding any kind of rhythm or cadence to my life. So look, uh, I know this might be a point we were going to discuss later in the podcast, but we might as well bring it up now. And that is, it's not meant to be easy. Uh, and this is going to be hard for the foreseeable future. And I think, Jeff, part of the reason why you and I are engaging in this kind of conversation is to help people understand how hard it is, but also give them some techniques to become better and better at something that's not going to become easier. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Which version of the Mike Lipkin do they prefer? The one who presents at conferences in front of audiences of a thousand or the one who's more reserved at home? Uh, that's such a great question. So they definitely prefer the off-screen mic. Um, my my daughter, however, and you know this is this is a message to anyone who has uh, a teenage daughter or a daughter in their twenties. Uh, when she hears me talk like this, she almost mocks me. Uh, she discounts what I'm saying. She there's a there's a sense of almost friendly contempt, if I can put it like that. But Jeff, you know what I hear when she's on her conference calls because uh, she's working from home downstairs as well. I hear her saying some of the things I say. So, you know, your kids are never going to give you the kudos directly, but the most you can hope for is some of the principles that you're endeavoring to embed in them, they start to articulate and share with their stakeholders. So that's one of my most rewarding moments. But to come back to your question, um, what our families want from us is that humanity. They want full engagement. And maybe the biggest challenge is that when we're at work, especially when we need to focus like we're doing now, we bring all of ourselves to that engagement. And then somehow when we come home, we think it's okay to allow the distraction to get in the way of the connection. And so one of the things that I've become very intentional around now is when I'm with my wife, when I'm with my children, I want to be all in. And then when I'm with you, I want to be all in. Because the biggest challenge facing us is the amount of noise and static and just sheer distraction pulling us away from what really matters. So I'll tell you, Jeff, that one of my techniques that I share with folks and that I'm practicing right now is wherever you are, be there. So the only moment in my life that really matters to me is between now and 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time today. I'll worry about the rest of my life after 11 a.m. because I know that if I can help you make this the, bit, the best podcast ever, I'm going to leave this meeting proud of what I did, proud of who I was, and that feeling I will take into the next meeting. But if I don't bring everything to this meeting, if I just mail it in, if you leave this meeting, Jeff, and you think, oh, I expected more, I'm going to be obsessing about how I let somebody down and then that meeting comes with me to the next meeting and then it becomes a vicious cycle as opposed to a virtuous cycle if you make every meeting matter. And the final thing I'll say here, Jeff, is that, look, you and I don't know what's going to happen moment by moment. Look at what's happening right now as we speak. Who knows what COVID's going to do? Who knows what the world is going to do? But the one thing we do know is that we have control over this second in terms of what we focus on and what we do. So uh, that's a pretty impassioned, long response to a short question. <laughs> ah, friendly contempt. I think I get lots of friendly contempt with our six-year-old daughter. So you're telling me, Mike, that it doesn't change. But I'll tell you, I get pretty choked up when she mimics me and when she tells everyone that she too works for ADP and then yells out my catchphrase, let's dive in. In fact, Mike, I've recorded it. Let's take a listen. 
This is Sophie from ADP. Let's dive in. I love that. Uh, and, and, and Jeff, just, just by the way, uh, I love that phrase, dive in, because let me give you a metaphor. So let's imagine we all make it to the summer and we go up to our cottage or we go up to a place that's on the water. And let's say you're standing on the deck and you're about to dive in. You've got a decision to make. Am I going to stay on the deck or am I going to dive into the water? But Jeff, once you've left the deck, once you're in the air, you can't change your mind. So what I want to say to folks is dive in, metaphorically speaking, because then you cannot be ambivalent. And if there's one thing that I think defines people who will be successful in this time is that they are not ambivalent about what they're going to do. They have a very high level of inner certainty and conviction. And that's what people can hear coming from them. So if you want to be a great persuader or influencer, know this. People don't always have to believe you, but they have to believe that you believe. They have to hear your conviction because then they'll be willing to come along the path with you. But if they hear ambivalence, if they hear doubt, you're going to lose them at the outset. Mike, building on about the different roles we each play in the book and when you speak on stage, you use words like action and reaction. And you also use a term called potentiator. In fact, you call yourself a potentiator. Now, I looked it up and it's not the latest Marvel superhero or villain. It's a medical term. So fill me and the listeners in. What's a potentiator in the Mike Lipkin universe? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And in fact, uh, that is who I am. So if we think about superheroes, and by the way, my personal favorite is Iron Man, because uh, uh, Tony Stark is a severely damaged soul who is also a very successful businessman who wants to do good in the world. And he is also half machine, half human. And most importantly, what Iron Man can do, Jeff, and this is the challenge facing all of us, is through his mask, he can overlay digital uh, factoids on the reality in front of him. So we're all having to apply artificial intelligence to our everyday challenges. So to come back to the question around the potentiator, the potentiator is someone who brings people together so they can achieve more. The word potentiate, or sorry, the word potentiator, as you very correctly stated, comes from the medical term potentiate. To potentiate means to increase the effectiveness of, to make more powerful. So that's the verb. The noun is potentiator. So I see myself as someone who helps other people create breakthroughs that they otherwise would not have achieved. So the best analogy that I can give you, uh, Jeff, is that sometimes we will find ourselves in a meeting and uh, we are struggling to find a solution or we are struggling to bring the various threads of the conversation together. Things are not gelling. And then someone in the meeting says something and that insight just makes it all possible. That's number one. Number two, you are being the potentiator for me right now. Why? Because you are enabling me to bring my best insights to you. Why? Because you are prepared, you are fully receptive, you are energized. And one thing you did before this call, Jeff, that was very, very powerful, is you let me know how excited you were for this call. And you let me know your expectations of the call. And you and I prepared for the call. So what a potentiator does 
is they not only give other people powerful insights, they also bring an energy that brings out the best in other people. So let me just say this, Jeff, and this is potentially the most important thing I can say on this podcast, that right now we are being zoomed out. We are almost being numbed down by this process of having to zoom five, six, seven, maybe eight times a day. So you want to be someone that people want to meet with, not someone that people have to meet with. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I've got many people in my life who I know if they're in the meeting, I'm going to be at my absolute best because they are creating the space for me to expand. On the other hand, there are certain skeptics or cynics in my life. And by the way, I might be that in their lives, where when I have a meeting with them, part of me goes, oh man, if I had a choice, I wouldn't have this meeting. Or they're just waiting for me to fail. Or I got to walk on eggshells because if I say A, then they're going to say B and then it's not going to go well. And so my bandwidth then becomes focused on not making a mistake, not being the best I can be. So in a nutshell, Jeff, a potentiator creates the space and the energy and the possibility for other people to perform at their absolute best. Mike, I think you really highlighted something powerful here. As a persuader or even as a potentiator, the HR professional's role is not to be the smartest person in the room, nor place the smartest person in the room. Their role, in fact, I think the raison d'etre is to produce an environment where the room itself creates a space for the team to make those huge insights and organizational breakthroughs. Now, talking about insights and breakthroughs, Mike, what's your outlook for 2021, especially regarding HR and the workplace? Jeff, uh, what you've just highlighted again is a crucial challenge for all of us. I see this virtual reality uh, enduring at least into the third or the fourth quarter of 2021 based on the really glacial pace at which uh, the vaccine is being administered. So at least for the six for the next six to nine months, this will be the way things are. And even after that, we're certainly not going back to work from the office. It's going to be work from anywhere. It's going to be a hybrid reality. So uh, more and more, people are going to be working from wherever it suits them because we've demonstrated we can be productive. Uh, we can even be collegial through this process. But here's the great shift that needs to be made. And uh, this was epitomized by a colleague of mine. In fact, I'll, I'll mention his name, Josh Cobden, uh, who is a uh, leader at a company called uh, Proof Experiences. And Josh said to me, one of the challenges of being in a virtual environment is that you cannot walk past someone's office and see that they're not having a good day. You don't have this thing called proximity that automatically uh, orients you towards other people's moods or states. So what does that mean, Jeff? It means we need to be intentional in reaching out to others. We need to be emailing them. We need to be calling them. We need to set up these kind of conversations with no other agenda in mind than just to check in, especially, Jeff, if you are a leader, because here's the weird, almost schizophrenic nature of this reality. Today, I will have seven calls, and I'm talking to people from Oslo, Norway, and uh, New York, New York, and, you know, Jeff in Toronto, 
but physically I'm locked into the space and I've been locked in here for the last 10 months and at least while we're in a state of emergency for the next 28 days. So the challenge then is how do we insulate or how do we even vaccinate people against that feeling of alienation and isolation? And I have never regretted, Jeff, just reaching out to someone, asking them how they are. And Jeff, I've gone old school. What does that mean? I'll just pick up my phone and I'll call someone. How are you doing? Because look, the chances are you're going to get their voicemail. So leave a great message or or FaceTime them or set up a Zoom call with no other agenda than just to connect. And I think if you do that, that action today will be something that people remember for a long, long time. Mike, I love having people in the podcast with such a great outlook and attitude like you. I think if you took a blood test, why you'd be a B positive. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I used to say that, but now I'm very happy to be an A negative uh, because, you know, positive, and this is a very important point I'm about to say, Jeff. Think about how our language has changed over the past year. Think about words like quarantine. Prior to COVID, did you ever use the word quarantine? I don't think I ever used it. In fact, there's even something called the quarantini, which is a martini that you have when you're by yourself. Social distance, that didn't mean anything to anybody prior to where we are now. So, you know, there's a whole raft of new words coming into our vocabulary. And so the challenge facing everyone on this call is, how is your vocabulary changing to be appropriate and powerful and impactful in a post-COVID reality? So sometimes I talk to people, and you know I'm sure you hear this as well, and I hear them talking about pre-COVID with a degree of nostalgia, like they wish they could go back. Well, the truth is no one's going back to that reality. We can create what we're going forward to. So this concept of language, this concept of recalibrating your vocabulary, and this concept of influencing people's mindset is key. Now, I will tell you, Jeff, um, and it's in my book, I'm a guy who became a coach and a motivator because uh, 30 years ago, I went through a period of clinical depression. In fact, one of the reasons why I dedicated myself to this pursuit is I wanted to insulate myself against ever going back into that dark place. So I feel sometimes, Jeff, and I'm being, I'm being totally authentic now, I feel like I'm still that recovering alcoholic. I still feel like at any moment I could get depressed. So I'm being vigilant. And on any given moment, in fact, let me give you a statistic that uh, a colleague of mine from the Environics Research Group shared with me yesterday. Pre-COVID, about 10 to 11% of the North American population on any given day would go through some kind of depressive episode, whether it was acute or whether it's low grade. Now it's up to 40% of us on any given day will go through a depressive episode. So I now feel when I'm going into that dark place, A, I don't feel like it's unnatural. I feel like this is just another part of the human condition. But Jeff, that's when I need to enhance my inner game. And I want to say to everyone on this call that you want to strengthen, enlarge your inner game so you can expand your outer game because your inner game determines your outer game. So for the first time, the world needs to be conscious about bringing that expansive growth possibility mindset, whereas previously, Jeff, maybe you were just a naturally optimistic person 
Or even if you were pessimistic, it wasn't an existential pessimism. Now this is like existential. Like, you know, this is one of those times, Jeff, where I feel like if I leave my house and I go to the gas station down the road and I go in to get a Coke or just to get a snack and some individual walks in without a mask, I could die because I bought a Coke. <laughs> I mean, this is like a badly written sci-fi movie. Mike, you refer to our inner and outer game. And in the book, you have this great reference to not paying attention to what's happening up on the scoreboard, but to stay focused on what's happening in the next quarter. It's a great metaphor. That's right. That's right. So excellent question, because uh, if we take one of our national sports and you know, if we take hockey and as a South African, Jeff, I've been here for 20 years, by the way, but I still don't get hockey. I just think it's violence and occasionally a game breaks out. But if you think about the great players, they don't skate around the ice looking at the scoreboard. What do they skate around? Looking at how do I get the puck in that net? How do I play to the best of my ability? And if I do those things right, if I engage with my team members right, if we follow the game plan right, as we, uh, as uh, Walter Gretzky said, you know, uh, skate to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. If we do all of that, then the scoreboard will reflect the reality. So this question you've asked is as important as any other, Jeff, because right now, I'm not focusing on what my numbers are for the first quarter or whether I exceed my target for 2021. I'm focusing on partnering with Jeff to make this an outstanding podcast because if we do that, then people are going to respond to it. There'll be the revenue stream and we will all live, if not happily ever after, at least happily for the next couple of months. But if I don't bring everything I can to this meeting, then that scoreboard is not going to reflect what you and I wanted to reflect. Mike, talking about what's inside each of us, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the characteristics that you're going to find in nearly all highly persuasive leaders. I think the outdated stereotype of what a persuader was, was that salesperson who people would see as being slimy or smarmy, like they're trying to convince and make us do something that maybe is not necessarily in our best interest. But I don't think it's like that anymore. I would like to think that persuasive people are genuinely honest, real, and comfortable in their own skin. They want to begin every interaction with the intent of building trust and credibility. And there's no better way to do that than by simply being an authentic human being. Mike, what are those top traits that make persuasive leaders different? And where do you see them being best put to use, best put into action? Again, uh, you know, crucial, seminal question. And in fact, Jeff, I will tell you that if a client or a prospect ever says to me, oh, Mike, you're such a great salesperson. I know I've lost the credibility. I've lost the connection because now they're afraid I'm going to get them to do something they're going to regret afterwards. Jeff, even the, the, the phrase, oh, let's close the sale, close the deal, close the individual. No, I don't want to be closed. How about we change that to let's open the relationship. So I think that the new uh, prototype or the new idyllic concept of sales is to be someone who is essential to the well-being of others. So to come back to your question, the traits of those folks I think who are salespeople is that they are unsalespeople. They are people who focus fundamentally on becoming invaluable to the success and the well-being of others. 
Jeff, I will tell you that one of my points that I make to folks in my conversations, and it's tongue in cheek, but it's also real, is I say, I'm not doing this for the money. I say, I'm going to take people's money, but I'm not doing it for the money. My entire sense of self-worth, my sense of success is whether someone else believes that I gave them something or empowered them to do something that will help them achieve something they wouldn't otherwise have achieved. So the mindset always has to be, how do I become one of the reasons why you achieve a level of success that previously would have been unimaginable to you? That's got to be the focus because you and I hear self-interest coming out of people's conversations with us. They, they are endeavoring sometimes gently and subtly and sometimes not so gently to hard close us. In fact, many of us who've been watching CNN uh, over the past couple of months have seen these commercials, right? And the first one, Jeff, goes directly to what you've said, where they will show uh, a woman going into a car dealership and being assailed on all sides by over-eager uh, mercenary uh, salespeople. And that's why now you should buy your car remotely. Uh, everything is uh, uh, touchless and everything is remote and you never have to look at a salesperson again. So in a nutshell then, especially if you're in HR, your job is to create that environment, to create that mindset where people feel like you're bringing them such value that you become their go-to person. And I want to conclude there because we all have go-to people in our lives that are indispensable to our successes. So in a nutshell, what I would say is be very valuable to the people who are very valuable to you. Mike, with the postponement of returning to the office for many of us, it looks like we'll be doing our persuasion in a virtual format for some time to come. Is virtual communication here to stay? Can it be just as effective as in-person communication? I will tell you that one can be even more compelling virtually because in direct answer to your question, we are not going back to those big marquee meetings at least for the next year, at least for the next year. So at most, we're going to have some smaller get togethers where we can be socially distanced. But the good news is with the right training, with the right focus, I think you can be even more effective virtually than you are in person. Why do I say that? Because Jeff, as I'm talking to you right now, I have total command and total control over this environment. So I'm wearing a, a high fidelity microphone. I've got bright lights shining on me. I've got a big 75 inch monitor behind me with whatever my slides needs to be. So I am creating my own avatar. As I tell people, when you appear on somebody else's screen, you are not flesh and blood, you are an avatar, and you can control what you want that avatar to be. Now, it isn't easy because many of us, in fact, 99% of us, we're not trained to talk in this counterintuitive fashion. So right now, I'm talking directly into this webcam. Now, I know that this is an audio experience, but Jeff, I've trained myself to talk into the webcam. I've trained myself to be more emotive than I would usually be. I talk a little louder than I would normally talk. I'm more expressive than I would normally be. I tend to stand so I can move around and bring more energy into my delivery. And so what is now very important for anyone who wants to communicate effectively and virtually 
is to learn how to relish and embrace the virtual medium, not to treat it as a compromise, not to do it with a degree of resentment, not to lament the fact that you're not in the room with the other person. It's to fully embrace it and lean into this reality because it is what it is. Mike, I've heard you refer to secrets as a piece of information that very few have and others desire. Can you share with us the secrets on how to be an effective virtual persuader? Excellent. So look, uh, first of all, uh, many of us underestimate the secrets that we have within us. And as you indicated, a secret is information possessed by a few, desired by the many. And so if there is a message to everyone listening and to their stakeholders, it's don't underestimate yourself and overestimate the challenges coming at you. But to come back to your question, here are some basic uh, insights as it relates to being a powerful virtual influencer. Number one, before you get in front of the microphone, before you get in front of the camera, pre-inspire yourself. Show up excited to be doing what you're doing. Number two, light yourself up, both uh, externally and internally. Uh, and part of that is act the role. So we're all playing roles in other people's life. Know the role you need to play and then play that role. Number three, get people's attention. Flag the reason for the meeting. Make them interested in having the meeting. So pay specific attention to the headline that brings them into the conversation. Number four, and this is absolutely critical, have a clear narrative that takes people along the journey. Let them know right up front what it is you're going to cover. Where possible, send them the agenda in advance, send them the pre-read, and then walk them through the structure as you take them through the meeting. Number five, uh, listen like you mean it. So when you are on somebody else's screen, and by the way, always have your camera on. If you switch your camera off and the other person has got their camera on, we call that asymmetrical communication and they do not get feedback. They cannot see how you're responding. But if you listen like you mean it, Jeff, you've got to listen with your face, not just with your ears. You've got to look like you're interested just the way you look now. Number six, animate your style. Because what a webcam does is it acts as a natural suppressant. It compresses us. You know, we end up as a small thumbnail on someone else's screen or someone else's phone. So we need to be a little more energized than we'd normally be. And here's a little tip. We need to talk a little louder than we would normally talk. Because when you talk a little louder, you come across as more uh, convincing. You come across as more passionate. And here's the important point, Jeff. When you talk a little louder, you cannot mumble. You're going to be far clearer. Then number seven is, in the meeting, make sure that you set up the next meeting. Always follow up at the end of every meeting. Uh, talk about the next step. As the great Napoleon Hill said, it's always your next move. And let me give you two final thoughts here. And the first is two words, recover remarkably. What happens in this digital environment is inevitably there will be some kind of snafu. Uh, either there's going to be an issue with your bandwidth or there's going to be a moment where you lose your train of thought or there's going to be a moment where you forget that you were on mute or you feel like you didn't communicate your points effectively. Get over it. The other person didn't even know what was in your head and it means a lot more to you than it does to them. So retain your composure. And then my final injunction to everyone, Jeff, and there's no substitute for this final step 
and that is practice becoming proficient, not perfect. Don't look for perfection because I will tell you, Jeff, as good or not good as I am today, I'm a heck of a lot better than I was just a week ago, but I'm not as good as I'm going to be in a week's time. So this is about really treating every conversation as the most important conversation. And then, Jeff, watching people who are great, finding your role models. Uh, they might be within your company. They might be media figures. They might be you when you've been at your best. And then experiment. Uh, find ways of expanding or morphing into who you need to be and uh, practice what is known as that growth mindset. See yourself as being able to become who you need to be, not fixed in terms of who you have been. Mike, all great tips. I remember our first meeting a couple of weeks ago. We had this amazing call and we talked about those very important tips. And I thought to myself, I really need to follow up with Mike after that call. And lo and behold, before I could get an email off to you, there was already one waiting for me in my inbox from you about next steps. Jeff, you know, thank you for that. You know, this is you being a potentiator. This is you complimenting me. And by the way, Jeff, uh, we all crave admiration, especially in this environment. So if you give an authentic compliment supported by an example the way you've done it now, you know it's always going to land well. So, Jeff, here's my, my response to your uh, statement. Uh, when you follow up quickly and effectively and accurately, the other person is going to be reassured that you are the one they want with them in the foxhole. So there's never been a more important time to follow up than now. Number two, I loved your response to me when you said, oh, you beat me to it. Uh, thank you for that. Because you also then reaffirmed how responsive I was. Uh, number three, while we're on a podcast together, uh, we're also doing some other work together. So you are both a partner on the podcast and you're a client and you are now a member of my ecosystem. So just know that whoever you are, you're playing multiple roles in the other person's life. And if you follow up, they are going to be someone who knows that you're someone who can be counted on. And so they're likely to give you more opportunities and more responsibility. And then that virtuous cycle continues. Well, I'm flattered to be a part of the Mike Lipkin ecosystem. So, Mike, in your book, Dancing with Disruption, you identify someone in the South African culture called, and I hope I get this right, an Mbongi. It's a neat concept, and I'd love to have one accompanying me around on my daily travels, and I think anybody would. When we talk about persuading others, how important is it for us to have an embongi of our own to rely on to help grow our influence? Beautiful. So, uh, such a great point. So, uh, an embongi is the individual who preceded the king or queen uh, as they were approaching a village uh, where the king or queen was going to make their visit and tell their story. And what they would do is they would just tell the village that this great person was on their way. This person who was gifted, who was powerful, who was wise, who would share with them solutions to create the best possible future. So what this Mbongi would do is raise expectations in terms of who this person is and what they would contribute. And the important point here is your reputation precedes you. You know, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of uh, Amazon, said your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. So the concept, if we take it all the way into 2021, is you want to have your personal mobilizers who are saying great things about you 
And those mobilizers are highly respected key opinion leaders in their own space. So if they say those positive things about you, they are far more likely to believe. So when you open your mouth, the expectation is you're going to be sharing wisdom. And so the moral of the story here, Jeff, is to really be influencing, connecting, and bringing value to those people who are thought leaders, those people who are going to mobilize other people on your behalf. And let me just, just give you um, uh, a, an acronym that I've developed in this regard. So we all need to pursue fame, F-A-M-E. And those are the four levels of influence. So an F, that is just someone who's a fan. So if someone's a fan, they like you, but they don't really do anything else. They just like you. The A is someone who's an advocate for you. So they will tell other people how good you are, but they themselves may not have leverage. They may not have achieved a certain level of eminence. And so their word doesn't mean a lot. The M is the mobilizer. That's someone who has the influence, who has the leverage, who has the resources, and they're going to mobilize people on your behalf. But the EGF, that's when people become evangelists. That's where they are so passionate about you that they put you forward because, or, or they put you forward like it's something that is the most meaningful thing to them, something that they would invest their resources in, and they, uh, um, they highlight your attributes from the mountaintop. So you and I really want to build as many evangelists as we can. Although if we just get to mobilizers, we will be doing well. Let's get back to that personal brand concept. There's been a lot written about building your personal brand, in particular by you. What's your advice around building one's personal brand, especially for the HR professional? Right. So uh, it's all about understanding how you occur to others. It's all about understanding what are the associations you want people to associate with you? So in my case, Jeff, as the potentiator, I want people to see me as the individual who brings insights that excites people into powerful action, the kind of action that generates results that otherwise would not have been achieved. So everything that I do, I want to be associated with insights, actions, and unprecedented results. So let me give you uh, an interesting expression here. So because I am the potentiator, when I get on a call, I have to be that individual. And I go back to a question you asked me earlier on, Jeff, and that is the difference between Mike the motivator and Mike the family man. Well, the great thing about being a family man is you don't have to try and be anyone else but the family man. However, in the workplace, yes, we need to be authentic, but we also need to be playing a role. It's a little bit of an oxymoron. We need to be an authentic actor. So because my brand is the potentiator, because I am the motivator, because, Jeff, I am acutely cognizant of how great this moment is, I am going to bring everything I can to this conversation because that's my brand. I'm going to be the guy who's always on when it counts. Now, I want people to understand I am not always like this. I am like this because Jeff Livingston is animating me to be like this. I'm on, you know, at the moment, I'm running on Jeff Livingston's energy as much as I'm running on mine. 
So in this moment, Jeff, I'm going to be really animated, really energetic, a little bit over the top. So we make this as entertaining as possible. So to come back to your question, your personal brand has got to be you dialed at 100%. Well, well, Jeff, let me, let, me, uh, um, let me switch the interview here just the one time, and, and I cannot sure. resist this. What, what is your personal brand? How would you define your personal brand? Mike, I'm like you, especially in my role as a communicator and brand steward for ADP. I want to create the stories and the brand image that engages a wide variety of audiences. So I'd say that my personal brand statement is to create a brand that people want to be a part of and to want to work alongside. Very good. Very good. And Jeff, just, just as an outsider, I see you, and I'm now going to give you the highest accolade I can. You are a fellow potentiator. Mike, you are a very authentic individual. And if there's one trait that jumps out to me when I look across the wide spectrum of persuasive leaders that I've worked with, it's authenticity. How important is it for that authenticity to come through when we're trying to persuade someone to be as passionate about a cause as we are? Right. So, you know, this, again, is another crucial question. And I'm going to give you an interesting concept, Jeff, and that is strategic transparency. So I'm going to be authentic in terms of what I want you to see about me. So I want you to see that I'm passionate. I want you to see that I'm a straight talker. I want you to see that I'm a master of my craft. I want you to see that I'm going to energize people. I want you to know that I've been through my challenges of uh, overcoming clinical depression, overcoming a stutter on my way to becoming a speaker. Uh, I'm a father, uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm an individual who is uh, trying to stay young as long as possible while he gets old. I'm letting you see all those things. There's some things, however, that are mine and that will be something that you know maybe only the people closest to me see. So I think what's important here is to be totally authentic, but not to let the dark side of your nature manifest itself uh, in the workplace because uh, the workplace is no place for that. Uh, there are other places where one may go to get help and to get guidance. And so this is about being your best self. It is about being vulnerable so other people can help you but it's also about understanding what you can and cannot bring or share with people because it needs to be appropriate and fundamentally it needs to be in this environment, Jeff. And what I'm about to say is really crucial, uh, especially in the workplace. You want to become an ally to all and an enemy to none. You want to be someone that people associate with possibility and encouragement and resourcefulness, not someone who's going to make life even harder for the people around us. And I'll tell you this, I did a focus group uh, a couple months back with a, a group of mid-level managers. And uh, the next step was for these managers to become partners of a professional service firm. And I asked them, how many of you want to become partners? And uh, six out of 10 raised their hand. And I asked the other four why they didn't want to become partners. And uh, one guy said to me, Mike, have you seen our partners? Have you seen how stressed they are? Have you seen how miserable they are? And so the important point here is that when we're in front of others, we need to be transparent, we need to be authentic, but we also need to be a force for advancement, a force for optimism, not someone that reminds people just how challenged the world is at the moment. 
Mike, I agree. I think that by setting those boundaries and what you present, you're helping to create that positive environment. Now, in your book, you write about how frustration is the genesis, not the nemesis, and how by learning from failure, you're that much closer to a breakthrough. You write about your first paid speaking engagement and how you stuttered. In fact, you talk about how you struggled with stuttering since you were a kid, eventually overcoming it after your booking agent introduced you to speaking coaches. You've got this mantra and it really speaks to me and I believe it highlights your story about overcoming challenges in your speaking career and that mantra is celebrate the struggle. Before we wrap up today, I really wanted to hear more from you about why those three words are so enlightening. Yeah, uh, look, because no matter who you are, COVID's going to bring you to your knees. Uh, COVID is the great magnifier. Uh, we're all bringing our own preconditions with us into COVID. Some of them are physical, some of them are mental, some of them emotional, some of them financial, some of them even social. So we're all going to go through unprecedented hardships, no matter who we are. It's going to be a struggle. By the way, it's meant to be a struggle. What do we call winning something without struggling? We call that the lottery. And you know, 75% of people who win the lottery within an 18 to 24 month period have lost the money that they've won. So whatever you haven't struggled for, you haven't genuinely earned. That's number one. Number two, Jeff, we are an aging population. And so the best way to keep the brain young, the best way to keep on expanding those synaptic connections in our brain is by trying new things, difficult things, things that build that mental muscle. So oftentimes when I go into a meeting, I hear someone begin with the following phrase, and I'm sure your listeners have heard this many times. What I struggle with is, and they say it like it's a negative. When I hear people say that, and then I hear a negative come, come after that, I just stop and I say, by the way, I am thrilled that you're struggling with that. It means you're taking it on. We don't struggle with anything easy. We don't struggle with anything that doesn't mean anything. Struggle means, yes, it's complex or it's challenging, but it's also significant. So that's what I mean by celebrate the struggle. And by the way, when you have come through that struggle and you look back at what you've come through, those are our best, most rewarding, most fulfilling moments, especially, Jeff, when we struggle together with others. And look, I will tell you that uh, I called my book Dancing with Disruption. And if you want to be a disruptor, not a disruptee, then you've got to confront your biggest fear. And I can say this categorically, our biggest fear is knowing we have to do something in the short term that we don't currently know how to do. That's what fills us with anxiety. So here are three words that you need to remember. Figure it out, but not by yourself. So I can honestly tell you, Jeff, there are some very ambitious goals that I have there's some very complex projects that I'm engaged in, just like everyone who's listening to this. And I know that there are people like yourself, now that you're part of my ecosystem, that I'm going to reach out to. And together, we will celebrate the struggle. Together, we will resolve it, uh, whether we are in close proximity to each other or not. Okay, and now on to one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast, the time where I get to learn just a little bit more about what makes our guests tick. So Mike, take a seat on the metaphorical ADP couch and let's talk about your favorite things in life. 
Let's pull into the ADP Insights at Work Conversation Corner. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's start with Mike. What's your favorite tool to help get work done? My favorite tool, in fact, it's uh, it's interesting you ask. Uh, there is a pad, it's called Remarkable. I'm, I'm holding it now. And it allows you to scribble and the pen on the pad feels like a genuine uh, thick leaded pencil. Even the, even the surface feels the same. So I find myself, because I'm a great doodler and scribbler, so this is something uh, I got uh, as a present uh, in December and it's become indispensable to me. Sounds like a pretty cool tool. Mike, what's your favorite resource to go to for industry information? My favorite resource to go to for industry information, Jeff, would be audible.com. And I'm going to expand on that response because Audible uh, is owned by Amazon. It's the largest repository of uh, audiobooks in the world. And I will tell you, Jeff, what has got me through the last 10 months is finding a fantastic book read by the author. So I'll give you one right, right now. It's just been uh, published. It's called Staying Sharp by Sanjay Gupta, who, as you know, is the health correspondent for CNN. And he's also a uh, neurosurgeon. And he talks about his journey uh, to becoming who he is and fundamentally how to stay sharp and become sharper as you grow older. So in a nutshell, I am obsessed with listening to audiobooks and by the way, podcasts. So I've got a range of people who I listen to uh, and whether it's a Malcolm Gladwell, <clears throat> whether it's a great uh, communicator called T.D. Jakes out of Texas, uh, on any given day, I'm listening to a thought leader uh, and I, I really feel like that person is talking to me directly. Wasn't it Warren Buffett who said you should read 500 pages every day? I like that. I like that. So uh, he, he said that. And what I also like, and I think uh, what I'm about, the quote that I'm about to give you comes from Warren Buffett, where he said, reading is like investing the interest compounds. And I will tell you, like, you know, you used the word frustration earlier on. If I am frustrated on any given day, it's because I didn't do enough reading. Well, let's talk about listening for a second. Mike, what's your favorite music album of all time? Wow. So um, my favorite music album of all time. Um, uh, so I had this. Let me, let me just see. Because there's so many that I have just been listening to. So I'm a big fan of ZZ Top. You know, I listen to that music after all these years, especially when I'm on a treadmill, especially when I'm on my Peloton. It still gets, gets, gets me going. I'm a massive Leonard Cohen fan. And by the way, for those folks who haven't been to an island called Idra, spelled H-Y-D-R-A, it's a Greek island just off uh, Athens. Uh, it's where Leonard Cohen spent a lot of time and wrote a lot of his songs. So I love Leonard Cohen. I love Bob Dylan. Uh, and then finally, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, bands uh, is Florence and the Machine. Uh, mm -hmm. So anytime I listen to, to that, that music, I'm really energized. But I'll, I'll tell you, Jeff, one of the things that uh, I'm doing now more and more is I'm just going to iTunes and I go into international music uh, and I listen to those songs and I'm discovering uh, Brazilian singers and Portuguese singers and Spanish singers and Italian singers. And there's something great about music where you don't understand the words. Mike, what was your favorite toy as a kid? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting you ask because I've been thinking about that a lot. And you know what it was? It was those balsa wood gliders. 
Mm. I'll never forget, like, my, 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 my parents used to take, take me to this little store in Johannesburg, South Africa, where I, I grew up, and uh, there were all these different kinds of gliders. Some of them were small, some of them were massive, and you would have to put them together very delicately. And what I loved is when you threw them, just the acrobatics, the aerial acrobatics that they did, and how far they would go and where they would go, and just the look and feel of them. I always found that magical. Mike, what I would find magical is if I gave one of those to our six-year-old daughter, Sophie, if it lasted more than 12 minutes. But you see, that's the point. I think I think each one only lasted that 12 minutes for me. But listen, Sophie, Sophie's attention span is that long. And for those six minutes, it would be a great six minutes. Okay. And now for the final favorite question. Mike, what's your favorite piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's just starting out in their career? Um, so my, my favorite piece of advice is know everything you can know about what you do, become the maestro of your craft. And, you know, if you're just starting out, you are not expected to be Michelangelo, but where you are in your career, if you're in your first month or your first year or your first decade, be the one who knows the most and is the most skilled at that stage of your career. And then what I want to say, Jeff, and this is very importantly, speak out. Be the first one to offer a point of view. Don't follow yesterday's advice, which is, you know, uh, 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 be hesitant about what you say or think more than you speak. Because sometimes you've just got to say what needs to be said in the moment. And if you think about it too much, you won't say it. So believe in your message, communicate your message, practice, practice, practice. And those people who don't respond in a way that is encouraging, well, they won't be around for long. And talking about not being around for long, it looks like we've run out of racetrack with that last question. Mike, it has been just an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, Dancing with Disruption, and I've really enjoyed our time spent together today. Jeff, I can honestly say to you that you have unleashed everything I could have brought to this conversation. You're a fabulous interviewer because you've given me the space and what people cannot see because this is audio, but Jeff and I uh, are on each other's screens. And as I'm talking, he's encouraging me, he's smiling, he's showing how much he's enjoying this conversation. So Jeff, thank you. And I got to tell you, I look forward to hearing this podcast. Well, let's hope all of our followers enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Talk soon. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work. <laughs>